Murph, I have to say, we did an okay job guessing the game awards. We did. You know what? I didn't get the final uh, count, but I believe we were more than half. I, as long as we're like, it's like a KD ratio. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? As long as it's like above 50, I think we're good. A definitely C+. Plus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, welcome everybody to this special episode of the Daydream Cast. Um, Woo! I'm Bro. Yeah, I am Murph. Um, and the, we're going to be doing two things and two things only. Uh, we have scrapped the standard format for this. Um, we are going to be going over our top 10 games played this year. Um, and we will also be ranking the quality of... In our personal opinion, it's all subjective of the games of the week. Uh, with some exceptions, we'll go over those rules when it happens. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Murph, how do you feel about making these lists? I, I love I love a good top ten. I love a good end-of-the-year top ten, be it for, like, you know, film or books or games. Just sort of, like, encapsulating the year as a whole, uh, which kind of feels necessary for this year because 2022 has felt long. Yes. Like yeah. like the other day, uh, David on the Twin Geeks cast reminded me that the Will Smith slap happened this year, and I felt jet lagged. Yeah. <laughs> it's been bad, man. It's it's been a brutal year. Let's just say. Uh, my personal take, you know, it's so weird. I think my thesis statement on my life and gamer culture is is that every and especially criticism and taste is everyone's a hypocrite i say i don't like top tens and i don't like that stuff however i love ranking tier lists Mm. so like i'm a hypocrite too you know a tier list feels more ambiguous compared to a definitive 10 i don't like being tied down with like definitive statements yeah because I I definitely get that because there's stuff where it's like, well, this one sequence is like number five slot, but the product as a whole is like number eight, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Or like the ideas here were good, but it was executed worse than this more generic, but well done. I feel it's tough. tough. I feel I can always do, I can always do like the top three, bottom three. It's that middle that is always like the most bitter, hard fought slots. Uh, all right. Well, then, do you want to start with your number ten? Yeah. Um. Let's let's go over the rules on how we did the top tens. Mm-hmm. So we are doing uh games we played in 2022, started and finished. Not necessarily games released in 2022, because otherwise I would only have like six games, and one of them would have to be like the quarry, and I don't want that. It, you- <laughs> Yeah, you know, it was tough because, like, I, I was, like, t- I was like out of commission for, like, a little bit of time. And not just that, but there's a lot of games that, like, slip by that we... I, I went back to the old episodes to see what I played. I'm like, oh, thank God I did these. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, I might have forgotten some of these. Um, I, I tried to stick to 2022. Um, but I'll mention some of the exceptions along the way. Just so. about... Uh, yes, every game on my list is something I've talked about on the podcast. Okay, all right. Well, so let's uh, let's start with your number ten. My number ten is a game that uh, didn't initially launch in 2022, but it got a mobile port in 2022, and since it came out, I have basically played it every single day. It's Pawnbarian. Okay, yeah, you told me about this. I actually, since that recording, 
played the free demo where you start as the Pongberry. Yeah. I have not tried the other crossing. Um, it's so funny because we did that episode and I talked about like some balance changes I would do and really wish it had a mobile port. One like and week boom. later, the balance changes I requested came in. Uh, and then another week later, the mobile port came out. So I'm taking credit for that. They listened to you. They heard you. Yeah. They knew. Um, it's just, and I'm not a guy that plays mobile games. Uh, I think the last mobile game I played was original Angry Birds. Uh, okay. Sure. I guess I've just never felt myself far away from a more refined gaming console. The the platform peaked at Flappy Bird. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, well, that, I didn't. That, I didn't even play insane. Flappy Bird. Oh, uh, you missed out. Uh, you missed out big time. So, Pondarian, it's just like a really tightly constructed uh, tactics game where every encounter is just like a little puzzle. Um, there's like, there's no surprises. Everything you you just know how everything works within the game, and so it really gets you in the mindset of planning three turns ahead, five turns ahead. And when something you didn't predict, like, comes and bites you in the ass, it's, like, the most painful bite in the ass you've ever had. But it makes you want to, like, immediately get back in there. Because going through any one of the three dungeons at any difficulty level only takes, like, maybe five minutes tops. And any one encounter is, like, like one minute, you know, depending on how thoroughly you think about it. Uh, I love all the classes. I love all the dungeons. It's just... A real good time, and I want it on my list because, as I said, since the mobile port, I've basically played it every single day. Damn. Pretty good recommendation. Why wasn't it higher? I think it just really is the... It's on the list for the amount of time I've spent on it. You know, I give it the credit for being a mobile game that makes me want to play it a lot. There you go. That If that was the case, I should have put Marvel Snap. But I oh, so. okay. I was actually expecting that on your list. Um, I didn't know. Yeah, didn't... it's not higher because everything else is just... This is pure gameplay, and I'm more of a story guy, ultimately. So while I can write my little narrative in my head of the, the noble Pondarian going into the foul shrine and defeating the mass, um, it's ultimately just like pure gameplay, little, little nougats of serotonin. Murph, I wanted to tell you, minor side note, I will spend a second on this. I think you'd like Dwarf Fortress. I've been eyeing Dwarf Fortress. I do want to get Dwarf Fortress. I, th I think you'd like it, buddy. And and they've changed the graphics. They've made it easier for people. I've, you can get in. Yeah, I, I, it's, on, it's on the list. It's on the list for, okay. for the backlog. Uh, what's your number 10? All right. My number 10 is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Uh, it was a brawler, um, and I, hot darn, I liked it a lot, and I still like it. I'd still like to play it with more people. I still do, like, online random matchmaking sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, but I would love to do just a co-op experience with uh, friends again, because it's, uh, I think my favorite part about it is, is just, like, uh, it's tastefully expanded and refined brawler combat, because, uh, as I said in the episode we talked about it, which is, I believe, the American Mickey's Alice episode, mm -hmm. if I remember right. Um, I I think the genre was limited by a lot, and I think I think the I think this uh, developer who also did the uh, Streets of Fire games or Streets of Rage, yeah. my bad, I get those <laughs> whoops. Um, the, the, they did the 
number four, and they they also sort of revamped it. They're doing a renaissance of the genre, which I enjoy. Sorry, I'm just thinking about a beat 'em up based on 1984 Streets of Fire. Uh, that would also slap. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Uh, so I'm surprised this game hasn't had any like DLC or updates since it came out. But it came out like when June. Yes. Yeah, it came out in the summer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. I do think sometimes uh, developers make the game and they are very honest and like, oh, we didn't make DLC for this. Mm-hmm. And then they actually have to develop it instead of, you know, some people are like, well, it's two months. Here's the DLC. They've been developing it the whole time. It's It was in their back pocket. I don't think that's the case. So yet. do you think this is similar to me with my number 10? It's it's only at the 10 slot because it's strictly satisfying on the gameplay level. I like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, it's not a very impressive story. Yeah. I think the pacing is really good for a brawler. But like that being said, like, no, I liked it. I, I, I legitimately tried to choose 10 games that I'd feel proud about. That's why I didn't put Marvel Snap. Is because I was like, <laughs> I wouldn't be proud of putting Marvel Snap. That's on fair. This. That's fair. So, yeah. What's your number nine? My number nine, I have Roller Drome. Okay. This, this game is technically on my backlog, and I would like to play it. I, it's, I have a PS5 and with PS Plus, so it's, like, available to me now. So I'll yeah. Um, very similar to Pondbarian, where it's just it's just a hot stream of good damn gameplay. Um, but this has the refined, like, the visual aesthetic and the very dystopian 1970s comic book approach to the, uh, the world building. It's just super... Ooh, I just like looking at this game and it plays really damn well by just making you focus on strictly moving around the map and shooting guys. You don't got to worry about tripping. You don't got to worry about crashing or what have you. It's just all about that combo meter. It's about getting in that groove. As I said in the episode, I talked about it. Okay. The groove getter genre. The groove getter genre. I have beaten most of the challenges in it. I think it's real simple to, it's one of those games that's easy to pick up, difficult to master. Like, if you're just going through to get through the story, you can beat it five, six hours. But if you're going through, like, trying to get all the challenges and trying to challenge yourself with, like, how high you can get your combo meter, trying to perfect every course, I think this game really rewards that. Especially since it has a ton of difficulty toggles. Like, you can turn off, you can have unlimited ammo, unlimited health. You can turn off, like, decay on your... um your combo meter and things. So at any skill level, you can get into this game and it's super accessible that way. All right. That's that. I mean, yeah, I'm excited to play it. I'm, I also like the art style too, because of the line work. It reminded me of Sable where it's got the, uh, it's got that line work. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Mike Mignola, uh, the original Hellboy. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like Mike Mignola meets like Mobius. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's got, it's got like that, uh, dense line work and detail to it it's cool um anyways uh is it time for my number nine yeah tell me what's on number nine all right this one is a complete left field one it is the one that was not mentioned on the daydream cast and it is the one spot on my list that is not from 2022 however episode two uh yeah episode two of it i believe episode three released as well I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't checked back on it released this year. It is Spookware. Um, this game, <laughs> this game I actually really liked. I, I loved it. I, I, uh, 
I don't know this. I, I, yeah, this is a complete, complete left field. I guess I should have prepped you for this one. Uh, basically, uh, there's, uh, there's like the Dread XP uh, deve- uh, publisher. Oh, okay. And they do like different collections of things. Originally, there was a, there was a mini game I played a long time ago from one of the Dread X collections called Spookware, and that was literally like. What it was was is like three skeletons on a couch watching horror movies, and the horror movies were WarioWare games. Oh. So each WarioWare micro game was like, oh, you gotta move the skeleton head, or like kill the victim, and then like you gotta use the knife and stuff. Ooh. It, and then like there would be like in between would be like little funny bits of like three loser teenage skeletons just talking to each other. They flushed that out into a. Uh, into a game like a real game um and is it, it still separate release is it still like warioware type stuff or yes okay. um what's interesting is 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 that they have both the standard warioware gameplay but they'll also throw you for a loop and have a little bit more of a i would say paper mario in how you move around the world but it's an adventure game where you solve problems but the problems are also micro games. So, okay. for instance, in, in the first in the first episode, or uh, like the first real mission, you you guys are like, oh, we're eighteen year old skeletons. Let's go to high school. We've never been to school before. So you crash a school and you go into gym class and you and you go into the gym or to the band. And then the guy just gives you bongos and he goes, play some bongos. And then one of the micro games is playing bongos. So then like there's different ways that they interweave micro games into adventure game storytelling to spice things up. So it was very charming, super enjoyable, highly recommend. All right. I'm all about this. I'm, I'm already wishlisting it. Is, is it really taken this long for someone to make their own WarioWare? You know, I don't, I don't know what it is about the genre. I, I will say, I think the genre is harder than it looks. Probably because, yeah, because like there's only so much you could do with limited setup, especially like this game because it's going to be keyboard and mouse primarily. You can use a gamepad, but they're like you should use a game, you should use a keyboard and mouse because hmm. um, the way WarioWare games work is in progression. They sort of add more to it, and then like later games are like let's just add a fucking device to this because you can only have so many games centered around arrow keys and the a button you know okay yeah i'm definitely this this is immediately going on my backlog i love the look of this good shit what is your number eight well number eight i've got a bit of a spooky game as well i've got the final station Okay, uh, yeah, you talked about this. That's right. This is this is the only train game on my list. Um, this is just a real good four-hour experience as an indie game. Uh, it's the world it's set in is so full of mystery, and the plot never really gives you any direct answers. Uh, since beating it, I've gone back and played through it again. Um, and it's still just as satisfying. Like, it, in a way, every section, every city you stop at tells its own little story. Like, there's one where you, you arrive and it's in a completely abandoned town. And you're just going through doing, like, little environmental, like, puzzle solving to get to the end to get the thing you need. And then the way behind you uh, collapses. And you discover that the government has set up underground bunkers that run the length of the city. 
and you're like, oh, that's where everyone is, and oops, they're all zombies now. And it's just like that little oh. that little rug pull. Every every area just has a different kind of rug pull and surprise, and it's just ah, it's just has this real gut punch of an ending. And and the mechanic of being on the train and having to maintain systems and heal people and feed them all the while they're doing all the exposition, but it's up to your own decision if you want to linger there and hear it. So you're just getting little t snippets each time. The two times I've played it, I got completely different like perspectives on the world based on the conversations I overheard. And that's just a really great way of doing your, your exposition and your storytelling that I haven't seen any other games do. I, it's, I, I highly recommend it. I still haven't picked up the DLC, which did release this year. Again, because it promises to answer all the questions. And I, do, I don't want any questions answered about this game. The mystery and the intrigue is kind of core to the appeal. Because it your main character doesn't speak in any way he doesn't really interact with the environment but in a way you kind of connect with him because he is much like you the player has no idea what's going on he is a smaller piece of something much grander and cosmic and yeah like i said that ending is the ultimate rug pull and that's that's why it's cemented on my list okay damn that sounds way better than my number eight which is vampire survivor what I thought you liked this game. Is it just too popular now? It's too popular now. I'm a contrary. It's good enough to make my top ten, whereas Marvel Snap isn't. Mm -hmm. um, I think Vampire Survivors is really impressive in how it does its sort of shallow gameplay. I admire uh, Vampire Survivors. In a way, I don't think I admire Marvel Snap. Mm -hmm. Um but that being said, like, yeah, you know, um, to describe the game, it is aesthetically a Castlevania similar thing, but it's basically a top-down, um, almost a twin-stick shooter thing, but you're really just evading mobs of enemies with automatic uh, power attacks um, that you choose to upgrade after a certain amount of experience. It's a roguelike in terms of uh, permadeath, but you can also have a uh, permanent progression you can unlock things and all yada 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 so there's a bit of a phone like one more turn oh i can now get this thing oh now i can play another turn so like it's it's addictive that's the big thing it sounds it. like just a slightly more involved cookie clicker um i think some people may be offended by that okay i would say yes but um, there's more to it than that. You choose your character. You can choose your weapons. And, like, there is definitely, like, some skill involved in evading mobs. But there's also a point in time where, like, no, you you do need to upgrade. Like, there's going to be a point in time where you have to die. You have to end that run. And you have to upgrade your ship. That's, that's just the long and short of it. Um, so, yes, I would say it's like a cookie clicker. But... You didn't hear that from me. I mean, I like I like it when numbers go up. I like it when numbers get big. Yeah, yeah, no, they're yeah, we're, we're but they're going down now, Murph. You gotta yeah, remember that they are they are getting smaller. We're moving on to number seven. Um, so this year I began a a, a one of my grand projects, one of my grand playthroughs through a game franchise. Uh, this year I wrapped up Resident Evil this year, but I also began Yakuza. And this morning I finished Yakuza 0, 
but the number seven spot be belongs to Yakuza 4. And that's that's the representation for the franchise on my list. Okay, so you were you were talking big where I guess we can go into it mm -hmm. in the later J Day Dreamcast episode, but you were talking big game about Yakuza Zero. I think Yakuza Zero has a real strong beginning and a real strong end. I think it does a bit of too much wheel spinning. Yakuza 4, I was happy playing it at every point of the experience. When I finished Yakuza 4, I was like, damn, that's a damn good video game. I, wa I want to immediately play it again. When I finished Yakuza 0, I was like, so close. Um, <laughs> damn. What Yakuza 4 <laughs> does really well is it has the four different protagonists, and they all operate within the same city, the same hub area, but because of their different, like, status and skills, you see that city through four completely different perspectives. Just, and while they all have, like, slightly different casts, they all interlock and interweave with each other in a way that the sequel game, Yakuza 5, just didn't. Yakuza 5 was very disparate in its storylines, and so when they came to a head and merged, it just didn't feel natural. Um, but this game... Like, number one, deliciously A-cab. Deliciously A-cab. Number two, it just skips over a lot of the BS that other entries in the series have had. Uh, each chapter really only lasts, like, five hours total for, e for each character. Um, meaning that when you're done, with, and you can beat that probably in, like, a sitting and a half. And so when you're done with that character, I was like, well... Uh, hold on, I don't want to move on to the next one quite yet. I want to see what more I can do with this guy. I want to, like, I want to explore the sewers as Saijima. I want to do investment missions with uh, Akiyama. And just, like, the final climax, when all the when all four characters step out of a, a helicopter dressed in their Sunday best, and they're like, all right, everyone pick a butt to kick. We're doing this. That's just... A fantastic climax and honestly I feel like that's where Kiryu's story and involvement in the series should have concluded but I'll see how I really sit on that when I get to the end of his story in Yakuza 6. All right uh my number seven I feel pretty good about this is this is where I'm like now confident. Okay you're no longer ashamed. I'm no longer ashamed yes uh, I'm no longer scrambling for a fucking top <laughs> ten list. Okay. Uh, Lunacid is the answer. I was debating about putting Dread Delusion on here. I was also debating about putting Gloomwood, but I feel like that they are uh, too early in development. Dread Delusion has been updating quite a bit since I last played it, mm -hmm. so that may not be the case. But as of now, Lunacid... When I first played Lunacid, it was a pretty substantial game. And there now it's, like, big and good. Um, yeah. Lunacid is essentially a dungeon crawler, first person, like, PS1-esque or, like, standard quality visuals. So very polygony. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a dungeon crawler. It's, it plays similar to Kingsfield and yeah. those sort of first person dungeon crawling games. And I gotta say... I love it. it. It has a really good use of aesthetic and design, specifically color. Sometimes these retro developers um, will just go into um, retro design and not really 
not really pay attention to certain aspects to do, but this one does. It does it just right. It's perfect. And uh, it's difficult, challenging, and everything you would want in a Kingsfield-like. Mm-hmm. Would you say it's accessible to someone who's wouldn't even know to begin what a Kingsfield-like means? Yes. I would I would recommend Lunacid over playing a Kingsfield, especially Baby Murph. I would I, go play Lunacid. Why am I Baby Murph? Because <laughs> you have yet to start your journey. That oh, is why. Oh, I see. Well, every Kingsfield game, I, I age up, I rank up. It, I, it's okay. I'm a baby, bro. I haven't done my armored core journey yet, so we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, you need to practice your claw grip, from what I've heard. Yeah. Uh, what's your number six? All right. I. This is probably the controversy. This is the controversial slot. My number six is Elden Ring. I'm not. I'm not mad. I. Elden Ring is a very good video game. I think I I think Miyazaki and his team probably have like a few more good games in them, but I I feel like this will forever be the refinement of the games they they are known for. You know, it's just like it feels like it should be the last from soft game. It's like okay, here's what you, it's like it's like Smash Ultimate, you know. Yes, it's I like agree with that. here. Here is everything you could ever want. We are we are done with this for now. Um, the issue is, it, it's just too long. It's just simply too. Long. It's too much. It's too long. Um, and and sort of what it was originally higher up on the list, just out of the respect, putting respect on the name. But I was going back <laughs> through our Discord like chats about Elden Ring. And I found a comment from me saying my favorite boss was Renala. And I stared at that comment for the longest time going, who is that? Who is Renala? I can't remember. Um, and then I looked it up. And I was like, oh, yeah, the one in the the one in the school, the one in the fucked up Hogwarts. Yeah, that's a great boss. Why couldn't I remember it? You know? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could talk. Uh, now I'm scared to get into a 30 minute Elden Ring conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Um, I think the only thing I will say is, is I think, yes, this is the culmination of a certain era. It it has been building up to this technically that there have been some derivative, like there have been some, you know, branches. I think some people have been like, I wish this was more combat focused like Mm -hmm. Sekiro or Bloodborne. That being said, I think, I think the best thing about this is it has the scope and the detailed mechanics and the expansiveness, that's what's really impressive is that level of ambition. Um, so I think my only thing is, is like, for me, if this game wasn't as big as it is, it would just be another Dark Souls game. Yes. And who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. So it, the only thing that makes it special is its size. Yeah, and that, like, that is 100%. That That's, yeah. It, but I also think, like, when I lit, like, the Kiln of the Giants... And I was like, oh, I got to go through Crumbling Farm Azula now. And like part of me was like, I, I really want this to be done so I can move on to other things. But then, you know, the other half was me like, now, damn it, this place looks really cool and the enemies are interesting and I want to see what the deal is. Like it keeps because From is so good at drawing you into a new area, even though I'm exhausted, I want to keep marching through it. And that I that I think is triumphant in uh, in of itself, but I I also just don't know when I'm ever gonna pick this up again. 
And for me, replayability, rewatchability with any piece of media, media is super important to me. Because if I want to... Uh, everything above Elden Ring on my list, I would boot up, like, pr it's my top five. I would probably boot it up right now and go into it again. Elden Ring, I want to wait, like, maybe three, five years before I ever get into that again. Unless DLC is released soon, you know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> we can talk about it more, because, oh. the, spoiler alert, it might be on my list. <laughs> All right, well, what do you have for your number six? My number six is Citizen Sleeper. Um, this game came out, we discussed it on the War of the Monsters episode, because Steven also played this game, and it is really good. It's one of those games um, for impact. It is one of those games for impact. The story is clearly the standout element of it, and the gameplay is interwoven to where you can feel the stress of trying to survive. You basically play a robot uh, uh, who is awoken on a spaceship, and you're trying to flee and survive because you are technically owned by a corporation. You're a slave. Um, you're mm -hmm. owned. You don't have a personality. So you're in hiding and you're trying just to scrape by. Um, you're trying to, you're just trying to survive, but that requires time and resources and you have to work for those. And sometimes it may not always be a happy ending. So in those ways, it feels really, really good. Um, I think the two issues I had were, um, I felt like that I, I could see too much of the game's simplicity. I would love to see expansion or mods into this game or a Citizen Sleeper 2. I think the game was A, too easy, and B, I could see the scope of it too much. You know, sometimes where it's like, I have to make a choice here, you don't want to know the repercussions of the choice. Yeah. Um, whereas in this one, I could... I. After a certain point in time, it's definitely it definitely works for the start, but like once midway through, you understand the scope of the game and you understand what's possible and what's not. So then you're like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. And would you say that's what's kept it out of the top five? Um, yes, for me personally, I think for some people, the social messages within the game and the characters within and all that stuff make it bump up higher. And I will go ahead and pay lip service here. Um, there's some games that I wanted to play that didn't have time on the backlog. Uh, Steven played Norco. I wanted to play Norco. I wanted to play Immortality. Those two games, I think, are, uh, Citizen Sleeper adjacent. Oh, and same with I Was a Teenage Exocolonist. Those are Citizen Sleeper adjacent. It could replace this if I ever got around to playing them, but I didn't, so, Well, yeah. tune in to, to the Game of the Year discussion for 2023. Yeah, Exactly. Well, my, Murph, what's your number five? My number five, um, potentially controversial because it is directly above Elden Ring. I've got the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe Edition. All right, Murph. All right, I didn't play the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe Edition. Mm. Is it really that worth it? Yeah, it kind of is. Because what it is, is just a shitpost of a game. It's... It does all the like the clever things that the Stanley Parable does with um, playing on games as a medium, playing with narrative, uh, but it's strictly to do the dumbest jokes possible. Um, there's yeah. I, it, Would you say that they they basically added another layer of sh of poop irony, or perhaps we could say the word 
bucket a irony? bucket of irony yes when you get the stanley parable like companion bucket like the first time when you pick it up and it's like here's all the new features you get a bucket like that's a joke in of itself but the fact that the bucket like comes back and then you can play through the entire base stanley parable with the bucket and all the endings are bucketified and adjusted to accommodate the bucket it's just, it's just, mwah, what a brilliant way to double the size of your game while adding nothing other than narration. It's so funny. It's so aggressively funny. Um, just, oh, and the skip button joke, like how that all plays out, where it just becomes like a, a hellscape dystopia. Ah. Uh, it's great. I love it. I love it so much. If if I didn't laugh as hard as I did at some of the jokes in this game, it would be lower on the list. It would be below Elden Ring. But but this just brought me so much joy this year. Fair enough. All right. I'm not going to argue with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, game genres can my... be tricky in a top ten. Yeah. Uh, All right. So my what... number five yep. was neon white. Okay. Okay. So what what breaks it into the upper half? What's the what's the push? What's the gimme? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Okay. Everything I've said before has like an asterisk to it. Mm-hmm. Um, like for for this list, I would say after Vampire Survivors, I would recommend all of the games. But then after Citizen Sleeper, I would be like, no, these are without asterisks, like really enjoyable experiences. These are must plays. Um, yeah, in my opinion, these are must plays. I think Citizen Sleeper could be a must play. It's just that the asterisk is like too clear for me. Um, but so let me describe Neon White for those who did not listen um, before. Neon White is essentially a it's a shooter game where the weapons are in cards and it's more specifically structured in very small timed mission segments where it encourages the fastest time. Um, so it is essentially a game where you're supposed to speed run. Yeah. And the faster you go, the better you are. And um, it just works. It's perfectly what it is. It's well designed. I think the only possible asterisk you could say is is that the game is split into two halves it has that very fast burst of mission structure but then it can't do that the entire that's not sustainable for an entire game so it slows down for um a visual novel segment in between the bursts of missions yeah i think for some i think for some the visual novel segments may be um lacking or slow or something but nope everything is great awesome thumbs up no complaints all right, all right. Uh, the only caveat I've seen to people praising this is that you do need to swallow a fair amount of anime bullshit. Do you... That goes into the visual novel segment. Yeah. Yes. Where there's a lot. I mean, that's that's just part of the thing where it's like a bunch of anime characters and ah, like that. Yeah. That's <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Okay. Sure. You expressed a lot with <laughs> that, that noise. That's, that's the, Hank Hill that getting his nuts smashed. That is what anime sounds like to me. <laughs> I like like four anime things, and I don't like anime. I read manga. So oh. like, yeah, nah, I'm good. La-dee-da. Yeah, I'm a manga guy. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so my number four, 
Um, I mentioned earlier in the list that I had started playing through Yakuza this year, but I also ended playing Resident Evil this year, and I think it ended with a bang. My number four is Resident Evil Village. I don't contest this at all. I think that's a really good pick. It's... I, I love Ethan Winters so much. You you have no idea. I love this mediocre father and his Did you play the DLC yet? I have not yet and I really want to. I really want to play through it in third person mode. Um yeah. just every the the way it segments itself into like okay, you have Castle Dimitrescu, which is your very typical like Resident Evil, you got to find the keys for the doors and there's a pursuer. And then you go on to House Beneviento with the sure. terrifying fetus monster and the horrible noises it makes. And then you've got just, like, the chase sequence with Moreau. And then you've got, like, the factory with the Chris machine, the tank, and and the boulder-punching asshole line. I was so happy when I saw that. Um, and then it just... Like, the ending, man, it it got me. It pulled on my heartstrings. I, I, Ethan's such a good dad. He's such a good dad. And I think that's the core oh. of the game, is that, you know, it's just it's just the quest of a, of a guy trying to get his daughter back that he loves so much. Um, it's got the Duke, one of my favorite, like, just NPCs from the entire franchise, sk- like, skidding in right at the end. Uh, I love it. It's a great game. Um, the the t- two things I'll say were yeah. like, number one, um, I think both seven and eight, but eight really goes into it is like the thing about Ethan Winters as the dad and all that is some people can say he's very milquetoast and boring, but it's like, have you played a Resident Evil game? <laughs> I'm not saying I don't love Chris. I love Chris. I love Jill. I love Leon. I yeah. love Claire, but most, mostly I'm going to be honest. They're a little boring. I, they're propaganda number one um mm-hmm. and number two they, they don't have a lot going on they don't have a reason for me to care other than there are cops that want to do something for people most of you know what i mean yeah so um that being said so ethan's uh has a personal element to it that really works and then in terms of the game seven and eight both go for alternative horror elements instead of that just typical zombie uh, element that defined Resident Evil for so long. They're like, let's fucking throw in werewolves, man. Yeah. Let's have vampires. Let's fucking have Texas Chainsaw Massacre shit. Yeah. Why don't we just fucking do it? You know. Mm-hmm. So I definitely enjoy it. Yeah, I think like Resident Evil Seven is only like in the S tier of the franchise be- with the DLC. Base Seven, I think, is probably like B, but but Eight on its own, having not played any of the DLC, the Mercenaries mode or stuff, is is one of my favorite entries in the series. Yep. Dang. No arguments here. All right. What do you got for numero quattro? This is the Elden Ring segment. This is my Elden At Ring At number spot. four for you, really? Yes. I was yep, guessing yep, top yep. three. Nope. Um, Elden Ring, I, I, think, I think the thing was is like, there's nothing particularly like uh, innovative about it. I uh, I also I recently got a PS5, yay me, um, and I replayed Demon's Souls on it. I played the Blue Point version of it, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, oh man, I love Demon's Souls. This is way better <laughs> than Elden Ring. Okay, okay. But, so it just it just reminds me that like there's just so many different gamer values. Like you don't you don't value. 
uh, maybe sometimes you do value scope because we're all hypocrites, mm-hmm. but sometimes you value focus. And like Bloodborne has focus. Yeah, Elden Ring is a little bit more of a mess. It's a it's a bit more of a complicated thing. Um, I love it for the elements that like I love Dark Souls too. Um, I see so much of it that I enjoy. Um, the story is engaging to me. The co- the color art design I actually like more than Dark Souls. All that stuff I actually enjoy more than Dark Souls. I think Dark Souls should never have another game to it. I don't think there should ever be a Dark Souls four. I, I would love that. to see an Elden Ring 5. <laughs> an Elden Ring 5 before a Dark Souls 4? Okay. Absolutely. I don't I don't think Dark Souls is built for it. I think Elden Ring is built for it because they talk about like um I forget his name off the top, but they're they're talking about like Chris Sanderson, I believe, um wants to collaborate for an Elden Ring entry um in some sort of media, they kind of want to make this a multimedia thing. I wouldn't mm. mind if they collaborated with fantasy writers like George R. R. Martin yeah. to make different phases of this game. I think that would be a very interesting way to do this franchise. And it, it's so it's so applicable to Elden Ring because, as I said in like the discussion we talked about it, I think back in the Dino's Crisis episode, is that this is like From's most lived-in world. It feels like people actually operate here and that, like, you can picture, like, people going to market and stuff like that, which I I can't get in Dark Souls. Like, I get Dark Souls are often set in, like, already dead worlds, but you encounter people who are, like, like Siegmeier of Katarina mm-hmm. or, or Catalina, whatever. Uh, Onion Man. Catalina. Yeah. Uh, you know, he says, I'm from this city, I'm a, I'm a knight, but I can't picture him going home, you know? Yeah, exactly. Whereas, like, Elden Ring, you have, like, Hugh, you have Rodrika, like, all these all these characters who feel like they're from places. They're all in their own story. And I would definitely like to see that fleshed out in other media. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I'll say as one final note, oh my gosh, I lost it. Never mind, we're just going to go to number three. Murph, what's uh, your number three? My number three... Um, the only entry on this list that was a game of the week, a game I, I love a heck of a lot, we'll talk about it more in the, uh, the tier ranking, but it's missed. Yeah, I will say as a disclaimer, I strived really, really hard to not include, uh, out of 2022 games. If I just went all of them, I would have put missed in the top 10. I would put missed in the top five. Yeah, I just... I, I booted it up, the, the oldest version available, and I was so engrossed I beat it in one eight-hour sitting. It's it's so just drawing you into that world, that art, those islands, that lore, uh, those those characters, those three total characters. Um, so satisfying. It just reminds me of being young and going into like my school library and pulling like a random book off the shelf. And going in and being like, okay, what's the lore of this world and stuff like that? Except it's quite that quite literally that's the mechanic of Mist. You know, it's books, it's worlds, it's lore, and the puzzles are satisfying. The visuals, the music, and we didn't really touch on the episode, but I love the music. Ah, yeah, the sound design in general, just period. They they have an entire world dedicated to sound design, and it yeah. and it works. Yeah, like. And, you know, when I talk about replayability, I beat this game in one sitting, and then I booted up the next version of it, beat that in another sitting, booted up the next version of that, beat it in another sitting. 
And, you know, part of that is because I knew the solutions to the puzzles and stuff, but I just wanted to see how how each entry tackled this. And I've, I've had uh, the entire Mist collection sitting on the back burner, and I'm so eager to get to the rest of them. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Mist when, when the time comes. Yeah. It's time for my number three, Murph. What, what you got? What's in the top three? Signalis. Oh, the rest of these I've talked about recently. I'm yeah, sure. okay, Signalis. Uh, yeah, that's the, yep. the space, like, Resident Evil, PS1 Resident Evil alike. Yeah, basically, um, it's a little anime as well. It's a little like Neon White, where it's like, if you've got an aversion to anime sensibilities, you may be like, oh my god. But that being said, the story is really well executed. The game is really well designed. The puzzles are awesome. The combat is awesome. I love all of it. And even, like, it even maintains some of those elements that some people can find, uh, complicated or frustrating like it doesn't compromise on the inventory system there's only six slots for the inventory and it's not like it's an actual problem it's just a component of how you are meant to play the game you know Mm -hmm. and i love it yeah yeah um i this is on my back burner i may get to it around this christmas time because everything you said about it made me real nostalgic for playing the PS1 Resident Evils. Um, and this seems to be a refinement on that. Uh, how long of a game is it? Um, I would say, first of all, I will say, oh no. Oh no. Oh no? It, no, it's a short game. I would, I'm going to guess probably like 10 hours. I would guess 10 to 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like side quests or anything. I think the big thing I'm trying to dodge here is is that there are multiple endings uh. and different endings may lead to different things. But again, there's no side quests. So really it's what you get out of that. I have seen some people think it's a very short game and I would tell them to start the game right back up again. That's what I'd say. So okay. what's your number two? My number two is Return of the Obra Den. That game. I heard you talk about it on the Quarry episode. Yeah. And I have played it uh, long back when, whenever it came out. It is a fantastic game. Reminds me a little bit of Mist. I love the wandering around games. You may, you may find like a theme with my top three here. Um, Return of the Obra Den just immediately slotted into my, my, favorite 10 games of all time um and the only reason it's number two here is because my number one actually released this year um and also i want to give highlight to that um but return of the obra din just like some of the most satisfying puzzle design even though at first it doesn't look like a puzzle game but how you start and how you start to think about like the environment and solving the clues um, for those that haven't listened to me talk about before, or don't even know what the game is. It's you um, are a East India trading company person, like set in the 1800s, a ghost ship arrives into Harbor and it's your job to figure out what happened. And you have to find and uh, decode the identities and deaths of every crew member on board and the only tool you have for doing so is like a picture of the crew, a picture of where they were going, and a special pocket watch that shows you the final moments of any corpse you find. 
and just god the deduction element is so good because when you start i was thinking to myself like there's no way there's no way i'm going to be able to figure all of them out but i did and every time it like confirmed that i got it right i like i i i clapped i put my arms in the air i did the my brain is so big dance like that's so the goal sad. of a puzzle game too yeah. yeah it's just so satisfying and like visually distinct you know for for what it came out in and like god i want to forget playing it so i can go in it again um mm-hmm. i love it i love it a lot what do you... um this is also by I'm, I, I was like oh shit didn't they make something else as well i'm pretty sure the papers, same people please. made papers please mm-hmm. and papers please is also just like one of those essential must play games must play and yeah no absolutely uh yeah all right what's at your number two What's the silver? Um, my number two is tunic. Two tunic. Okay. That's how we do it. So a game, I matched it. A game you have uh, intended to talk about on the cast, but never have. I should still be very conservative because the game is about secrets. I did beat it, uh, and I did end up using a guide uh, because one of the endings. It's a little hard without a guide. I'll just it say. has multiple endings. Um, I didn't know that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it. Morgan, I <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> I fucked up big time. Okay, so it it is basically like Mist meets Zelda meets like paper craft isometric or not isometric, but it's like a very specific angle. It looks a little bit like Link's Awakening remake for the Switch. You know what I'm saying? It's cutesy. But uh, it also has a little bit of Souls combat to it when it comes to bosses and enemies. The big notable thing that I think would immediately wow anybody who picks up and plays it is the the puzzles are very natural to the game. Again, it's a game about secrets, but it's not like secrets where like there's a man and he's like, by the way, this thing over there. It's instead more like you have an instruction manual. And as you walk around the world, you find pages to the instruction manual. And um, as you get those pages, you learn literally how to play the game, what buttons to press at certain places. And you're like, oh, you can, for instance, you won't know how to uh, upgrade your stuff initially. And then there's a page that'll be like, oh, here's how you upgrade your stuff. And you'll be like, oh, that's so fucking obvious. I could have done that immediately. And you can do it immediately if you knew it. Um, So that stuff is all really, really cool. And then like, it it just has that feeling where you're like, excited to see the world on every aspect mm-hmm. like you, murph you were at the age where instruction manuals existed right yeah so like you you were in a car once your parents bought you a video game you opened the video game case you read the instruction yeah. manual and you were like oh my god i'm so excited to play this i game. i miss manuals i do miss manuals that's that's literally a, a thing of the game that's part of the design so it's very appreciable in that way. It's it's beautifully done. I gotta say. Okay, why do you think it's only at number two, or will you talk about that with your number one? Um, it could it could interchange. I think Tunic is more of a me game. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I do think there's elements of it that I don't want to say are bad, but there's elements where I'm like I'm I feel it limiting. Um. Uh, number one, I think the combat, even though it is very satisfying, consistent, and is soul Z, um, 
I feel like that is the thing I care about the least. I li- literally, I don't, I don't need to fight things. Mm-hmm. But then the other aspect is the story. The story is very hard to interact with. There is no, the the language of the game is literally, there is a consistent language, but you don't know it off the top. Um, so when you're reading the instruction manual, only very specific parts are in are readable to you. Does it um, does it feel like a game that rewards? you and the com- communities you like to hang out with about that love to like decode a game. Yes, I would absolutely say that. I think there's there's an encouragement even within the game to be like um engage with other people cuz like that's how Zelda worked. Uh, mm-hmm. when we talked about the link to the past episode is like sometimes you're not meant to be just by yourself. You're not necessarily meant to consult a guide, but you're supposed to be like, Hey Murph, how'd you get past this one area? Yeah. And then Murph would tell you, you know, that's, that's how it functions sometimes. Yes. No, I'd be like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You'd oh, <laughs> devastating. Oh no. Murph, what's your number one? My number one for 2022, a game that, well, a third of it released in 2022 it is Faith, the Unholy Trilogy. Okay, yeah. Just, goddamn. Goddamn. Talk- Let me ask you, uh, we we were, like, in the middle of talking to Illusory Wall at the time, so I didn't get to dissect it. Mm-hmm. What is special about the third chapter? Because I only played the first two chapters. What's special about the third is it feels like... It's the same length as both those previous two chapters combined with the same number of, like, changing locales. Uh, Okay. It's effectively done as... The third chapter is done as a week. And each day you're going to a new location um, and finding more, like, strange demonic things. Uh, For those that uh, don't know about this game, because I guess it's kind of obscure for those that don't, like, follow the indie horror scene. Uh, yeah. it's it's a trilogy of games done in a Atari twenty six hundred style. It's a horror game about like the satanic panic. It's like set in the this the eighties. You play as a priest and in, looking into like a cult that has sprung up around your town, and so much is done with that simple Atari aesthetic. Like the the sound design still adheres to that Atari sound where it's all crunchy and bit crushed. The voice acting is all like Microsoft Sam, like robot speak. Um, um, we both saw the uh, we both saw that Twitter post with that one girl where it's like it's like that synthesized voice. Yeah, I'm talking about those things are so scary, and I was trying to think of how to articulate why it's scary for Faith. I, th- I think it's because it feels both alien and so deeply familiar at the same time. Yeah. Know? And what I'm not, when it comes to horror games, I don't like, I don't like the outlast um, amnesia approach so much. Not necessarily. I agree. Not, I, I shouldn't have chosen two games that have two very similar uh, art styles, uh, not gameplay. <laughs> But I like my games where it feels like the game is haunted. You know? Okay. Things like... The Ben is Drowned. You would play Ben is Drowned if you could. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Like Doki Doki Literature Club and things like that. Yes, yes. Um, um, when it's trying to be like fully immersive, realistic graphics horror, um, the, I, that is the only time where like the part of my brain speaks up and be like, well, why isn't this just a movie? You know? 
Uh, How do you feel that way about like Resident Evil? No, because number one, like those PS1 Resident Evils do have that detachment through graphics now and stuff. And I think those are just a bit more gamey to me. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I think, I think those work. I think combat is one of those essential functions. Even Silent Hill has like mediocre combat, but it still works. Yeah. You know what I mean? And faith, um, faith barely has combat. All you can do is throw yeah. up a cross and demons will be repelled or damaged. And just the number of different encounters with that faith, three the third chapter has a lot of ways it mixes it up on you like there's a horrifying game of red light green light there's a bit in like an apartment building where the power goes out uh a daycare center and all the fucked up shit that happens there uh and then like you know even then you've still also got faith chapter one and two which have been expanded upon with like extras modes uh, there is, like, once you beat those chapters, you unlock, like, additional difficulties. Like, hey, what if the entire game environment was dark and all you ha could see around you is a lantern? Can you beat the game that way? Can you beat the game on ten times speed for everything? <laughs> it's just... It's so fun. It's so... It, it really just shows what a lot of creativity can do. And I'm so excited for Air Dwarf's next game. Uh, that he looks to be doing like an FMV point-and-click horror, uh, with yeah. with help from uh, Molly Moon, who, if you don't know, she's done yep. some TikToks about like a, a creepy FMV point-and-click horror girl, and then he's also working with Trevor Henderson, who um, it you may have seen his art around. He created Siren Head. Yeah. Um, and that's just that's just shaping up to be my Silent Hills of of horror horror people that i really want to see collab um, um i i'll say i'll say in general like my take on horror is is like i'll say for the whole thing is is i don't i don't like being scared i like the aesthetic and i like enjoying the texture of what is made and so yeah the art does art design is one of the primary things i look for and faith absolutely does that you know what i mean yeah and i think i think the indie scene for horror is one of the most primary places to look if you're curious about indie games same with signalis signalis is partially yeah. horror based and like yeah no uh and just go on itch.io any day um and just see what what's out there it's crazy man um yeah all right so what is your number one even though i have a pretty good I, idea I, what I, it is <laughs> I already said it. I said it last last episode, man. It was Pentiment. All right. So have you played any more of Pentiment since you beat it? No, but I don't function like you. Whereas, like, where you're like, I feel like the need to play something immediately as soon as I play it. No, instead, the games that I play, that I would, like, go, I would play this in a year or two again. Those games are, like, that's the high recommendation for me. Okay. Um, I'd be like, shit, yeah. But you haven't um, so, felt yeah, the need I, I, to go see, like, other choices, other paths? I, I have, but part of me wants to let it sit, is my thing. Okay. Um, number one, it's an adventure game. I, I guess I'll restate what's going on in it. It's an, it's, it's an adventure game with some RPG trappings, specifically regarding choosing your background and having specific dialogue options. Um, you play... As Andreas Mailer, um, he is an artist um, in the uh, 16th century, um, mm -hmm. and he is in Bavaria, 
and uh, there are mysterious murders that happen, and you must solve the murders. And uh, I love it. it. It goes one way in initially, and the payoff is what I think does it. Because, like, I think this game would have been much more similar to, for me, um, like, New Vegas meets Disco Elysium meets uh, Paradise Killer. Paradise Killer I talked about once with Pavlos. That's also a detective game where you solve a murder. Um, but I think that last act actually seals the deal for me because that one's much more narrative focused. It takes a completely different turn and instead kind of just shows you the repercussions you've made. But what's beautiful about it is it's not the big repercussions. I can tell that the big repercussions were very scripted and were very like always going to happen. But it's the small things that I'm like, oh, I, I get it. Um, I this all makes sense, and it, it just adds up to a very satisfying experience. Mm -hmm. Do you think it was... Did it not qualify for the Game Awards? I, it might not have. Okay, because I was about to ask you, did you think it was snubbed at all? But I guess if it didn't qualify, it didn't qualify. It may have been released way too late. Mm. Well, well, maybe it released same time as like God of War, but eh, neither here nor there. Who knows? Either way, I don't care. I never care about the Game Awards, Murph. <laughs> do you think, the... <laughs> looking at these uh, top tens now, do you think this was a good year in games? I do. I I do think this was a really good year in games, yes. Yeah, I think, I think for the indie scene especially, this was a great year because on the... Uh, the AAA space, I feel like there were only two really big titles that I have seen a lot of people talk about. Elden it, Ring and God of War. It, it's telling that, like, for the big AAA space, a FromSoft game super streamlined and digestible finally hits, like, breaks the fever. You could argue that other ones broke the fever before, but, like, this one's huge. Yeah. And then um, God of War, Ragnarok. I want to play it, by the way. That's also on my list of backlog games. Um, that's uh, I'm going to settle like, down and play that this Christmas. Yeah, but like that being said, I know Ragnarok's not going to be an uh, innovative game. It's yeah. probably going to be really good, but it's not going to destroy the foundations of what we know. Um, but that being said, yeah, like the indie space is where things are interesting, where, where people are innovating in different ways and are engaging on different levels. I think a lot of issues people are having nowadays is a lot of time investment, a lot of money investment, and indie offers an alternative, also even beyond the industry of it all. You can give somebody money. There there could be a game where three people worked on it. I'm pretty sure Spookware was made by, like, one guy. I gave him money. <laughs> he deserved the money. Yeah. Good for him. You know? Yeah, no, totally. I think just, and, like, going forward into next year with all the announcements at the Game Awards... I could see that being kind of where AAA games kind of have their comeback. And maybe steal... Zelda's coming out next year, yeah. so we'll see what happens. Yeah, Zelda, and then other things. Um, I think I think we're in a good spot with games right now. I think uh, sort of being that that COVID slump. Uh, and, you know, yeah, people, like, people like Cyberpunk now. You're playing Cyberpunk now. And that was like considered... We'll talk about that when we... That was considered a we'll flop a year ago. Um, yes. Yeah, I think I, I, I had a great time with playing games this year. Not just because I, I, I joined a video game podcast and felt obligated oh, to yeah. play more games. 
No, but the podcast helps, man. Yeah. Again, the podcast helps because it because it reminds you what you played and it, it engages you more. Um, yeah. Anyways, speaking of the podcast, uh, you, we reviewed you picked up what a I was bunch putting of down. games this year. <laughs> yeah. So um, we will be so, ranking the the games of the week since I joined. Yes. And uh, putting them into a list. And this will be sort of the final concluding thoughts on each of them. How All right. do you want to tackle this? Going in order of release or just going in order of what we think goes where? Okay. We All right. Multiple things. Number one, disclaimer. Um, I'm going to list the games that are going to be included in this list. Okay. Um, that we will say there there are three games that were played by people that were like not necessarily both of us at the same time murph played the quarry i played mega man legends and skull monkeys uh mm. without each other so we can include them in our own rankings and mention them but that being said like i can't comment on how good the quarry is i have no idea yeah maybe it's good who knows mm. um <laughs> And then the other thing is, is that we are recording this before the Vagrant Story episode. And the Vagrant Story episode will be the last official episode of, quote unquote, the season. So, maybe Vagrant Story is the best game out of this. Who the fuck knows? The answer is probably not. But it's probably really good. We'll, you know, we'll talk about it another day, another time. Meanwhile, I'll go over uh the list of the games in release order real quick and then we can actually talk about our rankings does that sound fine yeah yeah does that sound right okay so the first game we talked about was epic mickey that was your debut cast episode yeah then it was half-life one and half-life two as a double feature um there was dino crisis then world of goo there was pokemon mystery dungeon um, we did the Game Boy Advance ones, the and David guested, and he did the Switch one. Um, Harvest Moon, War of the Monsters, Bioshock 2, Blood Omen, uh, colon, Legacy of Cain, Mist, The Quarry, uh, American McGee's Alice, Skull Monkeys, Mega Man Legends. I'm saying a bunch of them. I'm just reading yeah. off the list as it, you get it. Doki Doki Literature Club. Eco, A Link to the Past, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, Star Wars, Masters of Terrace Cassie, and Jack and Daxter, The Precursor Legacy. All right. So. Murph, what was the worst game we played this year? Star Wars, Masters of Terrace Cassie. Like. <laughs> no argument here. I was the only one of that cast that beat it. <laughs> Hey, man, I think if you put time into it and you go, I don't like this game, that's good enough. (laughs) Okay. That's my take. So are we just defaulting that to the bottom? Murph, Murph, do you think if I beat it, I would like it more? No, I'm just saying that's indicative of the quality. (laughs) That of three people who obligated to play it, to talk about it, only one person played it to completion. Well, completion. To to end of arcade mode. Okay. So, do we think Epic Mickey is better or worse than Star Wars? Object objectively better. Oh my gosh, Epic Mickey isn't even the next one on my list. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, if, we're, if we're going in in release order, um, I do you have any thoughts on Epic Mickey? As oh, do you want to go on release order? My bad. Oh, that's yeah. I I was thinking. Oh, okay. Yeah, we could do that. Uh, I I can't count where I put it. Then where did I put it? Um, I, I will say that I, lo- I actually like the game more than you did. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's probably in the lower middle. I respect Epic Mickey enough conceptually. I think as a game, it has a lot of glaring and very obvious flaws. Okay. No, that's uh, totally fair. The game, uh, the game was a mess. And then even what was promising about it wasn't necessarily what could have been done. What could have been was so much better. Yeah. And that's not even talking about Mickey Rep. That's just everything. I mean, we'll see. I mean, next year, no, in two years, theoretically, Mickey Mouse uh, goes public domain. So. So wait, what What number did you rank Epic Mickey? My Epic Mickey ranking out of, uh, so we've got 21 total. I've got Mickey at number 14. I have to, I have to quickly put numbers. But 14 sounds about right. Oh, 15. Epic Mickey was my 15. Okay, okay. So next we have Half-Life 1. Um, I liked this game more than you did as well. Yep. You want to know how much more you liked it? You're going to put this right at the bottom next to Terrace Cassian. I have Half-Life 1 at number 16 on my list. Oh my goodness, Murph. Oh my goodness. Mine's at number 12. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it hasn't aged that gracefully compared to other retro games on our list. Uh, y- That's fair. You know, you know, Epic Mickey is disappointing, but at least it's, like, palatable. You can get through it. Uh, Half-Life 1 is just, like, the opening's really exciting. I'll give it that. And it draws you in. But the moment you start fighting soldiers and they can start, like, spawning behind you with machine guns and just melt your health... Uh, the game just stops being fun for me. And all, like, the interesting okay. levels and things kind of go out the window because I'm just constantly right. watching my six. Complete disclaimer. I found this out after recording the episode. I went about my business. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, I know what's coming. You played Source. Uh, Apparently, Source has that problem. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to bring up the fact that I didn't know the machine gun had an alt fire. No, no. I mean that could that. I mean that would have made it slightly better. But no, the big thing is apparently um, the hit scan aggression on the enemies was way worse in Source. Mm. Uh, apparently, Source was just an inferior thing. I told you inaccurate information. You should have just played the original like I did. I see, I see. If you if you were to ever play Half-Life 1 again, I would strongly recommend not playing Source. I'll do Black Mesa. Well, yeah, no, 10 out of 10 on that. You won't regret that. So, with that in mind, I guess I can give some leniency. But, yes, totally get it. Um, how would you feel about Half-Life 2? Half-Life 2, you know, I liked it. Um, it almost made my top 10 for the year, but just... You know, it just didn't stick as much. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, now that time has passed, I'm not as, like, hung up on the, the greatest game of all time bit. Um, I think it's a still very good think, game. I've got it at my number four. I, I think it's, yeah, this is my number three. 
Um, I think it's a little like thinking about your the roller coasters. Like, rank every roller coaster in your life. And you could do it, but, like, it's really hard to appreciate it so long after the fact. Like, it's really hard for me to appreciate Half-Life 2 when I'm not playing Half-Life 2 or have it on mm -hmm. the I think what Half-Life 2 really has is just a great breadth of gameplay ideas. You know, it's like you've got the zombie level, you've got the ant level, you've got the turret level. And each one just kind of has a different flavor, and it, it keeps changing and surprising you. I think it goes on a little longer than it should, but I say that about most games. That's fair. Yep, yep, yep. I love Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 is a game I've played countless times. It's just something I always go back to. It's a comfort game, especially for shooters, because I like campaign shooters, and Half-Life 2 is what I would point to if someone said, Hey, Brogan, what's a good campaign shooter? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Have to, baby. Uh, what? Dino Crisis. Dino Crisis is low on my list. It, Epic Mickey beats it. Epic Mickey was 15. Dino Crisis I put at 16. I have Dino Crisis at 15, right below Epic Mickey, right above Half Life One. <sighs> yeah, no, I I can see. I don't think Dino Crisis is better than Half Life One, but that's just me. I think. Dino Crisis still has that that re it it coasts by on that Resident Evil uh one charm, the the tank controls the fixed camera angles, um just like the intrigue and everything when you first boot up the game, and then it sort of devolves into some really head scratching puzzles. Um, yeah. I think it's rescued by its aesthetic and by its cast. I do like the cast of Dino Crisis. I yeah, I mean, I think Dino Crisis would honestly if you were to ask me gun to my head, what should Capcom remake with the fucking RE2 RE3 style engine? Gun to my head, I would say Dino Crisis first mm -hmm. and then uh Code Veronica and then Zero. I you know what? I I agree with that. I actually genuinely agree with that, and that's as someone that really I, I really want to like Code Veronica. I don't, but I want to. I think Dino Crisis would be best served with a reexamination and a fresh design sensibility. Yeah, and it could slap. It could slap. It's got the potential. I see the diamond in the rough. Mm -hmm. Um, let me see here. World of Goo. So this is one of my favorite games. This is one of games. your tippy tops. This is one of my yeah. favorite games of all time. But actually, uh, in the list, where did I plonk that? I've actually got that at a number five. And that was just me being generous. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be honest. Although you could argue, like, if you wanted to wheel and deal for me, I put it at number 11. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was really good. Um, but it's like, I think almost right at the middle of the list. Hmm. So, so why, what, what do you think just didn't really click or carry over post playing it? I mean, it, I think it was also one of those scenarios where it's kind of hard to appreciate the genius of the game. Because the genius of the game is, number one, it's physics mm -hmm. and it's... It, it's mission pacing because each mission is very creative in how it does it. It's not just a standard physics game. It's much more creative about what you have to do from mission to mission. And then the other thing is the sense of humor to it. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't know, man. It just didn't, it didn't pop 
the same way. Although it could like if you if you charisma checked me, it could bump up like three spots. Um, it could be like number seven or eight. I think. <sighs> You know, it's just one of the things about, like, game genres, where if you don't necessarily like the genre in of itself, the game has that much harder, like, hill to climb. Yeah. Um, not saying you don't like puzzle games. I mean, you may, may not like puzzle, like, building games or physics games, you yeah. know? Yeah, like, I'm not a huge fan of Kerbal Space Program. That's oh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried so hard to get into that game, and I just can't. <laughs> No, uh, I think World of Goo is better than that. I would unequivocally say World of Goo is a great game. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, we reviewed mostly great games. And mostly. The other great, yeah, mostly. And the other ones just eked out. Yeah. I think World of Goo is a circumstance where I liked everything after it more and not because I liked World of Goo less. Yeah. And I guess, in case anyone's wondering, I do have it below, like, directly below Half-Life 2 on my ranking. Uh, and they may be scratching their heads at that, given how much I gushed about the game. Um, number one, it is just kind of like, my ranking was being more generous to, like, games I hadn't played before and, like, trying to be as objective as possible. Um, yeah. And I think Half-Life 2 is more important in the scope of gaming and it also tells, uh, you know, it, it's just a it's just a roller coaster, like you said. And whereas World of Goo is more like contemplative, and and yeah. sometimes you know, if the roller coaster is fun enough, you want to get on that roller coaster, then then sit and meditate on the rock for for four hours. And, and I'm gonna go ahead and speculate that. I know, for instance, that my number one and my number two are contemplative, meditative games. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just it's just a give or take. Again, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff we reviewed. Yeah. So I mean, there's you know, yeah. looking at this list as a whole, it's all over the place in terms of quality and genre. That's the goal, Murph. That's the goal. So <laughs> number six, which is another Murph pick, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Red and Blue Rescue Team slash DX. Now, did you put that at number six? I have Pokemon Mystery Dungeon at my number ten. I we have synergy, Murph. Oh, it is my number ten. It beats World of Goo. Does not beat. Spoiler alert: Blood Omen. Mm, uh, same for me. Same for me. Um, oh my goodness, did Blood Omen get your nine? Uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, alright, no, continue. Uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, go ahead. You know, it's just, it, for me, it really is the story, and part of it is nostalgia, but I just I just love the abrupt left turn it takes, where it's like, you know, everyone's out to kill you now, and you have to, like, flee, and, and you're running through volcanoes and ice forests, and you gotta find nine tails, and then, like, once that segment is done, then it's like, oh, you gotta go to the underground, and you gotta fight Groudon, and then you gotta go into space and fight Rayquaza, so he'll blow up a meteor, and just, like, the story as a whole, like, the characters all coming together, the, I love Gengar, I love Gengar's little story, if you play past the ending, um, and sort of his, his character as a somewhat repentant jackass. <laughs> um, it's it's just so important to me, and also the gameplay is just satisfying. Um, it's just a fun little tactical puzzle game, you know. With the, uh, I think it's as close to adapting Pokemon to a 
a quasi real time battle system as we'll ever get short of like, you know, poking tournament. Um, I, I will say this, this was a, a, a deep episode for bro. I think this was probably the episode where I changed the most from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, especially after the fact Brendan's been bugging me that I should play the normal mystery dungeon games, not the Pokemon, because Pokemon's a variant. Yes, I have not played the the other, like, the mystery dungeon mystery dungeons. But but my my journey through this was me discovering that I don't like Pokemon anymore, especially when Scarlet and Violet came out. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, I do not care about these things. These things... These things could be dead to me. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're you're fine with cutting that, that out but, of your life. Yes, but that being said, Mystery Dungeon specifically was the best Pokemon experience I've ever had. It is the best Pokemon game I've ever played, and I loved it. I loved its structure. I loved its gameplay. I loved its story. I loved, you know, it has like that basic friendship angle to it. But as you said, um, those plot lines are really well set up. Everyone's well characterized and. Yeah, the gameplay is challenging and rewarding. Um, it can be a little too challenging sometimes and a little too bullshit. Yep. But as you said in the episode, it's your bullshit meets the game's bullshit. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way to play a game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, my number 10. It's perfect number 10. Uh, number 7, Harvest Moon. Uh, so um, this one's difficult. A little bit, a tiny this bit. This is difficult. T- so, Dino yeah. Crisis coasts by because it has that retro aesthetic. Technically, Harvest Moon is more retro, but it's also of a style that we're getting a lot of retro revivals of. So, I'm and, and it like founded a genre. Yeah. So I'm, I I am admittedly like quicker to compare it to contemporaries in its genre. Yeah, like, I think that's the thing is, and that's the issue when we played Harvest Moon. When we played it, you were like, why didn't we play anything after this? And I think that's the important part was because, like, this game was, like, really good for its blueprint. This game is essentially the same as Stardew Valley. It's just that Stardew Valley has everything on top of it that we like. You know what I mean? Um and, and, like, even in the Harvest Moon franchise, they did that. Like, you know, Harvest Moon 64 is essentially, like, streamlined. They just streamline it every time. Games are an iterative process. Is Harvest Moon flawed? Yes, definitely. But I think the 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 essential game is still good. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear where I put it? Go ahead. It's at my number 18, right above Star Wars. That's, that's pretty brutal. I, yeah, compared to, um, what it, what it's below, (laughs) I think I'm looking at it and being like, I got, I got to defend this choice when we get to it. Um, do you, do you think, do you think it's just like Star Wars was like the biggest quality gap? There's no way Harvest Moon is in the same ballpark. No, it's definitely, there's a huge gulf. Like if we, if we threw in some like, some like blank slots i would put maybe yes. 7 to 10 between star wars and harvest moon yeah yeah it, yeah but do you just think it's because everything else was good um well i don't think everything else was good um <laughs> but i think it's much closer to a bar um okay that's fair you know i think like where do you think the bar is on your list? 
Is it, do you tend to like default a midpoint? Like your number, the middle of your list is your bar or do you think it's somewhere else? Define bar. Define. Like the, the baseline of quality. Like everything, like this is the point where I'm like actually start liking the entries. All right. I'm just going to, I'm going to let everyone peek behind the curtain real quick. We can talk about them when we get to them, but Basically, there is definitely multiple bars, is the short answer mm-hmm. to it. Uh, Star Wars Masters of Terrace Cassie is its own league of bad. Um, then there's a bar. And then 19 was American Mickey's Alice. Yeah. Um, and then and then I would say that the games pick back up into... Pro- like, with Alice, it's promising. There are things I like about it. I just didn't love it. I would never play it again. Yeah. Um, once we hit epic mickey at at 15 i would play epic mickey again. i i was gonna say epic mickey is my bar as well yeah, where I it's think just epic the bar man. it's just palatable enough but like the glaring flaws hold it back from like being recommendable yes. whereas everything below yeah. epic mickey i'm just like man this did not really click with me this did i i i was struggling to play it. absolutely I, I i i'm surprised we're agreeing on like some weird essential <laughs> yeah. picks here yeah this is bizarre but i yes, think it just I think epic mickey's like that you know to, to pat ourselves on the back uh but i think it just goes to show how good a first episode epic mickey was yes that was uh, yeah that was strategic um <laughs> anything to say about harvest moon so you've got this closer to your mid is it just i didn't say my i didn't say my number yet oh okay Har- harvest moon is at my 13 okay uh keep in mind that i have 20 because i have two yes uh over you um but yeah it's it's at my 13 it's it's actually and the one thing that's getting me is it's above dino crisis and it's above epic mickey it's above doki doki literature club and i don't know if i would actually do that i might put doki doki literature club above that but you'd have to catch me on a different day Mm-hmm. I think the thing about Doki Doki Literature Club is it didn't like found a genre. It didn't do this or do that. Like, I don't know. Something about Harvest Moon just speaks to me more. I think Harvest Moon's better. Okay. But this version of Harvest Moon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You like the summer hurricanes? Yeah, I do. I like the time. I, I like I like being able to spend all night in the spooky creepy pasta the complete the mute creepy pasta zone yeah yeah i forgot about that <laughs> it's, it's it's a good vibe you know i don't know what it is man all right anyways uh war of the monsters all right g- just go ahead hurt me hurt me where is it <laughs> it's, it's it's right above american mcgee's alice which it's is right 18. above star wars for you yeah oh. You're kill. You're killing yeah. Little Murph. You're killing. I put Skull Monkeys above War of the Monsters. Oh well, I have no purchase on Skull Monkeys, but I War of the Monsters for me is at my number twelve, and you know I think doing the episode with you and Steven on that game really like you know in in so so little course of words as i can that was kind of a slap in the face where i was like oh no <laughs> it is this game not good <laughs> is it okay murph's defense 
technically the game's a multiplayer game. Yeah. And we played essentially the campaign. And we and I would say a bulk of complaints are actually levied against the AI. Uh-huh. I think if the game was as you did it, you played with your sister, um, you goofed off in it, and then you learned where everything was, and then you appreciated the campaign after that fact, I think the game would be much tolerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the essential gameplay and the design are completely fine. The controls are fine. The arenas are fine. The characters are fine. Um, I think the biggest problem was that campaign and how we based it on the campaign. Mm-hmm. I just, like... <sighs> You know, when you talk about, like, things that live rent-free in your head from your childhood, this is this is so one of them. Like, the sound effects, the music, the level designs. Like, I, I think I said this all in the episode, but, like, I know these levels like the back of my hand. I know these mechanics like the back of my hand. I could, you know, you, you catch up with 90-year-old Murph up in his, like, his lighthouse monastery, and you plop down this in front of him. He's going to know what to do. Yes. <laughs> he won't even say a word, but he'll play more. He'll say gracias. I don't know why he's Spanish <laughs> now, but <laughs> you went through a journey. Yeah. Um, Daydreamcast season seven <laughs> preview. <laughs> um, next on the release order, Bioshock Two. I was really proud of the episode. Yeah, I love. If we were to actually rank episodes, Bioshock Two would be up there. I like the Bioshock episode we did with Acer. Uh, yep, and the game itself, I also really like. Yeah. It, it is my number eight. Oh, I've got it at number three, just above Half-Life 2. That's fair. No, I mean, I wouldn't argue. I think once we get to my top ten, it's like a little... I, I don't I don't have a problem with putting yeah. it like number whatever, but like, yes, my number eight, Bioshock 2, loved it. Great game. Just great level design, you know, just like really getting and how it gets you to engage with the level design with the uh, little sister defense missions. And then like, I think it's, and I just also like, you know, Delta as a protagonist. Um, and I love the characters. I love, I love this version of Rapture with the, with the train and the ghetto and the amusement park. Um, it's great. And it looks like Ken Levine is just doing Bioshock again, but under a different name. Uh, yeah. So if it, I guess for him, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. But to me, Infinite was pretty broke, if you ask me. It was a little. <laughs> Anyways, it was a little busted, a little broke. Maybe, maybe a future uh, episode. But uh. What 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 I love about Bioshock Two is, you know, it's that fucking meme of the IG, and it really makes you feel like you're Batman. Yeah. It really makes you feel like a big daddy, but it does because the weapons are supercharged into uh big yeah they're, they're colossal you feel like a titan when you and, when you shoot um, a guy you shoot him <laughs> yeah yeah you obliterate a guy yeah um you feel like a tank and the and, and all the aspects are highlighted i think one of the things that i could i think now articulate about bioshock 2 that's different than bioshock 1 bioshock 1 was a little bit more generic unreal engine mm-hmm. i think the one thing that it has over bioshock 2 is horror elements but that being said bioshock 2 has a much wider color palette and much larger variety in terms of that aesthetic design yeah um and different different set pieces different calculated maps as you said all that stuff and we didn't even mention minerva's den we didn't yeah. even min- mention minerva's den that's the that's the cake icing on top of the cake. Yeah. 
Minerva's Den so good. Just like, ah. Man, I love this game. <laughs> it's good shit. Legacy of Cain, Blood Omen. Yes. Um, I've got this at number eight. This is my number nine. Uh, in between Bioshock and Mystery Dungeon. I think this game is so carried by number one, a great vocal performance in its lead character, and number two, a really just like immediately engaging world and lore. Yeah. Um, I think it's held back by its late game gameplay. And I think That's if it just had a tighter finale, it also a satisfying finale because that final boss is a joke. Um, I think it would be, I think it really would be much higher on my list. I think it says so much that you can have like, it says so much about presentation. It was theatrical. Mm-hmm. It was uh, exciting, but also the gameplay was essential. They didn't really fuck it up. The pacing is a little like, eh, but that being said, the powers feel great. Access to the powers feels great when you get yeah. something. Um, you know, there's. I'm trying to think of how how it's phrased. Um, I believe it's called horizontal design. Uh, um, yes, horizontal progression, where you're not necessarily yes. getting bigger numbers, but you're getting different tools. Exactly, and that that just feels so satisfying here as Kane the Vampire, where you're getting a bunch of tools and you're like, when would I use that? And then two minutes later, you're using it and you're laughing. Yeah, maniacally. You're saying ve victus. Yeah, uh, it's a great time, and you know, it just like you said with presentation, it's like I don't know if we would get a game scripted like this these days. You know, I'm watching people clown on that game Forspoken. Because it's doing like the, oh, you're telling me there's dragons and magic. Uh, whereas this, it's like, it just takes itself so seriously that it loops past like any sort of irony to being like, no, this is epic shit. This is serious. What, it's it's so beautiful because it's like, it, it reminds me that like even games in that era could be like faux Shakespeare. It's like faux Shakespeare taken so seriously. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. It's just like, oh. Yeah, no, I agree. Next, we've got Mist. All right. Do you want to say it, or do you do we want me to say it? I've got Mist at number one. I have Mist at number one. My man. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the best. It's so uh, the number two is very ballpark Mist. Mm-hmm. But oh. that being said, I think we may have what? different number twos. I don't know what your number two is. We'll see. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily know how much. I. I would just say in the tranquil sense. Yeah. Um, the meditative sense. Uh, what it? You know, I'll. I'll. I'll speak about mist real quick. I think mist is just a game that you approach at your own pace. The the game lets you breathe it in, and, and it rewards you for it every time you do it. I was so scared before this podcast to like actually do it to get off the island but once i was off the island the game was organically a breeze but not in a bad way it 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 just felt like a stroll in a in a nice way where the puzzles felt organic they felt natural like you talked about um like oberdin puzzles or other puzzles where you go aha Mm -hmm. mist wasn't aha mist was like this just makes sense i'm putting everything back in its place yeah um, um, and that stuff was just beautiful to me. Yeah. You know, I, I said pretty much everything I was going to say in my top 10 when I put it in. Um, 
the one thing I've been meaning to say is that there is a version of Myst I really want to play, and it's the version that released on the 3DS. <laughs> oh, no. And I feel like that console, that setup, may be super ideal for Myst. Um, and I want to track down a copy and play it. Perhaps it'll finally get the piano puzzle right. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. That is... You know what? Real talk, that piano puzzle is what dragged it down to uh, below Oprah Din and Faith in my top ten. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, uh, the, the Quarry. I did not play this. So The Quarry, you know, I think The Quarry is likable enough. I think game design-wise and story-wise, it just kind of fumbles. Uh, the Quarry is at my number 11. I've got it above War of the Monsters, below Mystery Dungeon. It's sort of my middle of the tier list. And I think that feels very... It feels right. Because the quarry is kind of a safe game. Um, you know, for all of its, its licensed music and celebrity actors and just really great facial capture... Um, at the end of the day, it does feel very safe. It feels like it doesn't really dare to do a lot with its story, and that's where it kind of falls We've apart. We've had games like it before. We've had plenty of games like this before. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's all I really want to say about it. I do think it was a little snubbed at the Game Awards. I would have chucked, like, Ted Raimi in for performance as a gimme. But its only nomination was for accessibility, and that's because you can turn the game part off, and that's because it was originally developed for the Stadia. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Stadia. Um, American McGee's Alice Murph, how'd you feel about it? I've got it at number 17, third from the bottom, yeah, above Harvest Moon, below Half-Life 1. It, it's definitely not better than Half-Life 1. Although it did give me Half-Life 1 vibes. You know what the problem is? The re I can objectively say why I like Alice less than Half-Life 1. is because it's as if they made Zen <laughs> the whole game. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just... Yeah, it's just worse Epic Mickey. <laughs> yeah. When you, like, right, yeah. like, the initial level, the opening level, when you think about it, is the opening level from Epic Mickey. And I wonder how much... Uh, War Inspector was influenced by this game. It's possible. Um, it's, qu it's quite possible. Yeah. It's like all it's got is the visual aesthetic, and that quickly runs out when you're just stuck with these very frustrating uh, levels and mechanics and how the story just kind of ultimately feels like a big nothing burger, you know? Yeah. Uh. Like, it ends in that moment where, like, the, the the Red Queen, like, her face opens up to reveal the Mad Hatter whose face opens up to reveal Alice. And you're kind of just wondering, like, well, what, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? It was inside your head all along. Yeah. Um, and the fact that the game manual just completely dismantles the story, um, you know, it... I, I'm curious to play the sequel. I'll say that much. Not anytime soon is what I would say to <laughs> that. All right. <laughs> uh, now it's time for me to talk about Skull Monkeys, 
Skull Monkeys was my number 17. So if in case you're keeping track, my ranking as of now is 20 Star Wars Masters of Terrace Cassie, 19 Alice, 18 War of the Monsters, 17 Skull Monkeys. Mm-hmm. And that's also 16 Dino Crisis. But Skull Monkeys is um, not terrible. It's not, it's not bad. Um, I did it with Mac. Mac loved the game. Yeah. I just didn't fall in love with it the same way. I think there's a lot to admire about it. It's gameplay wise, it's very similar to uh, Donkey Kong Country. It plays just like Donkey Kong Country, save for some essential differences, such as um, shooting and like the power ups, and then some of the mini games. But that being said, like that, and then there's like the clay aspect. So I think the best part of the game is its humor and the artisanship of the clay Mm -hmm. so i think all that's really cool but that being said when you when you get down to the gameplay um and especially the levels and especially near the end it gets it gets tiring i was tired by it yeah by a certain point how long is it ultimately because when you guys were talking about it on the cast it was really coming across like it drags out um it's not long it's hard Ah, uh, okay, I see. One of those. Do you feel yeah. if it didn't have the claymation aspect, it would be, like, much lower? Yes. Okay. Below Alice? Well, here's the thing. is like, you can't, you can't do that. I, well, I'm just curious. You can't, you can't be like, if you take away the coolest part <laughs> of the game, is it still cool yeah. anymore? Then the answer is no, Murph. I'm, I'm sorry. just wondering how much is it carried by its visual aesthetic? Because in that way, Alice is much the same. Um, It's it's carried a lot by um, it, almost entirely. I will say it's not just the clay. It's all of it because um, there's songs. The songs have like such a nice sense of humor to them. I don't know if you listen to the episode or not, mm-hmm. but like the 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 songs have their own sense of humor and their own personality to them. So like sound design wise, it is definitely worth something to praise. Um, that being said, like the aesthetic components and then like the general gameplay don't make something really special. It just makes something like kind of cool. Okay. And then tell me about Mega Man Legends. Mega Man Legends, I fucking love this game. This was one of my childhood favorites. Um, I put this at my number six. Um, and I did this episode with Brendan while you were at PAX. I did both Skull Monkeys and Legends while you were at PAX. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and have, do you know anything about Mega Man Legends? Like, what's your experience with this game? I listened to you and Brendan talk about it. I know it's kind of got a like a like a Porco Rosso sort of yes like theme it's to it. It's very Saturday morning anime. That's how we described it. Yeah, it's kid friendly, um, very expressive. This game came out before Ocarina of Time, so it has like a really impressive like set of like three D styling and uh, targeting and all that. Gameplay wise, you mostly go through dungeons. And you shoot at Reaver bots and you circle strafe. But um, the real appeal of the game is that charm that 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 wandering through town doing mini games. Mm-hmm. That Yakuza style, you know, like, oh, I'm walking around. Oh, what's this? The librarian needs something. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll do that too. Yeah. Um, all that. And and especially in the story, the character design. Mega Man is a franchise built by 
how appealing the characters are and Tron Bond and the Bond family just like are golden. They're they're awesome. And then the the lore of Mega Man Legends is also juicy when you get down to really? it. Really? So I would I, not I, I would it. not expect juicy to be applied to the lore of Mega Man Legends. Though I guess people have always Mega been Mega Man Legends 2 especially, but yes. I guess people have Legends always been very invested in the uh the overarching story of Mega Man. Well, well, well. You gotta realize, Legends is at the very, very end of the overarching story to Mega Man. Mm-hmm. It takes place after like Mega Man Zero and ZX. So, like oh, when people okay. talk about ZX, they're setting up for Legends. Legends is a world covered with endless water. Um, so it's like a post-apocalyptic. It's Wind Waker. So. Yes, it's Wind Waker, but better. I mm, I don't know about that. That's okay. a very bold. Statement. Yeah, you just uh, <laughs> when we get to the Wind Waker episode. <laughs> Um, all right uh doki doki literature club you know plus content aside i've got this at my number nine so uh below blood omen above mystery dungeon the quarry war of the monsters yeah you see i don't think it's better than mystery dungeon really and i'm the person that like loves mystery dungeon nostalgically you gotta realize you gotta realize, I think Mystery Dungeon's literally the best Pokemon game. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I just also understated my love sometimes. Yeah. I just I just go, it's good. <laughs> I do feel the height of Doki Doki Literature Club on my list is, is carrying over from the first time I played it, not necessarily this replay we did for the episode. Because I think... Yeah. It just... Just what it does, I think it does very well. Not necessarily what it does is like new or fresh, but you know, like I said back in my top ten, I love I love haunted video game stories. And I think this is the best like application of that outside of like Pony Island, which I, I ha- admittedly have not finished. Yeah. Um I w- okay, so for me, Doki Doki Literature Club is at fourteen. I think that is like So you've got it between Harvest Moon and Epic Mickey. Yes. Oh, that. See, that's brutal to me. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I I will say I'm very proud of the episode. Mm-hmm. I love the episode we did. Um, I would stand by it. I would urge anybody to listen to it. Um, you know, I think maybe it's just because I've seen too many of the tricks, and now the tricks don't yeah necessarily surprise me. And then like this time around, I think the plus content and the looking at it. You know, it's what I said in the episode, which was the first time I played it, I saw all the satire and I saw the criticisms and I thought it like broke the dating sim genre. And this time around, especially with the plus content, it felt like it became that which it sought to destroy. It became that which it sought to destroy. Yeah, exactly. I can see that. Like if yeah, we're and, and if I'm counting in the plus content, it sinks in my rank. But I wish I wish to keep it pure because I really did like that first time I played it. No, that's fair. And I mean, I will say this is definitely uh, uh, once once we get to that, I would say it's worth a shot. Very interesting. I I'd recommend anyone play it if they're even like kind of interested. So yeah, no, I like it. Okay. Then we've got. You say the name of this one, because I'll get it wrong. Eco. Eco, sure. This is my number two. That that's understandable. That's understandable. So right below Mist, but above Half Life yes. Two for you. 
Yes. I've got it at my number six. But it's it, I could see it moving up. So I've got it right below World of Goo, Half-Life 2, Bioshock 2. Um, That's all understandable. You can put this anywhere. I don't yeah. Know. I think, you know... I often get challenged on my opinions because I'll often hyperbolize one thing and then people will call me out on it. Uh, you know, I did say this is basically a perfect game and now I'm putting five things above it that I don't necessarily think are perfect sometimes. Because you prize the things in them. Like, yes. Yeah, and I mean? that's what it is. Yeah. And it's like, I think, you know, it's just a very well-told story using just... You know, it's kind of like Faith in the opposite direction. It's just using minimal story, whereas Faith used, like, minimal graphics and gameplay. And still, it does yeah. so much with it. Absolutely. Um, it's it's organic in terms of design and composition, and it's fun. And it's, like, essentially one game-length escort mission but you never complain because you actually care about the person you're escorting around. Yeah, and you, you um, care about them as a duo, and you want to see yep. them be together. Um, yep. I think... That's heartwarming. Yeah. I think that I could have done with a slightly redone, like, climax. I really wish uh, Yorda was involved in that in that uh, battle against the Night Queen. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair complaint. Um, but otherwise, you know what, just, like, aesthetically, the music, like, the world, that castle is so, is so distinct in my mind. Um, I, I think it's a great game. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I wonder, it's like, do I, do I want more games like Eco? Yes. Do I want every game to be like Eco? No. Mm. Um, but there, there's just something, you could, when you play it, you know there's something special about it, which is, I think what really separates i think that's what separates the top five from like anything else this is like is this game special question mark and then i go yeah yeah i think th i think it is yeah so um all right what go ahead and break it to me gently Murph. <laughs> all right link to the past. so so you hurt me with war of the monsters now i'm gonna hurt you i've yeah. got it below war of the monsters <laughs> at number 13 that's fine Right above Epic Mickey, below War of the Monsters, The Quarry, Mystery Dungeon, Doki Doki Literature Club, Blood Omen. Oh my gosh. It's just, um, you know, everything that Link to the Past is, is done better in Blood Omen, for me. Um, and I think that was... I can see that. And I think that's where it really clicked me, because Blood Omen has all that, like, looking around for like secrets little tools to help you beat like the boss but it also yeah. comes with a really engaging world and story and also it doesn't necessitize those secrets the way link to the past does like you know you'll find a, a spell that will two-shot a boss in blood omen but you can also beat that boss without the two-shot and i think that's the that's the difference is that Link to the Past just necessitizes its secrets, and I just don't feel engaged to look for those secrets because I don't really care about this Zelda world. Um, I think those are all fair complaints. I think I think A Link to the Past is limited by its place in history and its tech. Um, that being said, um, it all works for me. Um, I don't mind a Zelda that wants these things out of me and asks these things out of me. But also... 
after that, games started to ask for different things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Zelda games stopped being about that and started being about helping villages and doing this and this. And the puzzles became more or like streamlined and more obvious and less, you know, esoteric. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, where, where do you so have it in your I, ranking? Uh... Number seven. Okay. I think it's above Bioshock 2, and I think it's better than Blood Omen. But a lot of that comes from history, because this came out four years before. Um, and I think I think A Link to the Past influenced Blood Omen. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so, I mean, like, that. that's that's where I would say that. So, it's like, yes, I would say Blood Omen has more interesting characters that you would care about, and more interesting villages and powers and things. Um, I'd say that perhaps... Um, the fact that puzzles and rewards matter more in Link to the Past isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I get it. I get it. I get your issue with it. It's no problem. Uh, you know. Yeah. Like, different strokes for different folks. That's 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 the name of the game here on the Daydream Cast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Castlevania yeah. Three, Dracula's Curse, even. I was I was also super proud of this episode with Illusory Wall. Mm-hmm. Um. Thank you for him. And thank you for all our guests, by the way. Every single one. Uh, Theomini, uh, David, uh, Vaughn. Jack Davenport. Steven, Jack. Calvin. Jack Davenport. Calvin. Fucking Mac. Brendan. Fruit. Uh, eventually, yep. You're, we're going to see him in a yep. little bit. Like, just all of them. They're, they're all great people. Um, I'm actually... I think gaming is a really good medium for guests. So, that's... that. I started to branch out. I was like... This podcast should have guests. Like, I imagine us on a couch. Okay. And be like, come on over, friend. (laughs) Anyways, Castlevania 3, number four. Okay, so you're in your top five. Yes. Um, I've got it at my number seven, below Eco, above Blood Omen. What makes you think it's better than Blood Omen? I think it's just, like, Blood Omen falls apart in that final act. Whereas yeah. Castlevania kind of, it's, it's very consistent. It stays at one level for me the whole way through, and I like the level it stays at. Um, it's just so tightly constructed and, and consistent in its pacing and its difficulty, what it asks of the player. Um, it's yeah. just really satisfying to conquer. Yep. Um, yeah, and again, perhaps Castlevania 1 is more polished and pure, but I like the expansiveness of three and it's not to its detriment. The added characters offer actual variety and they offer different solutions and more creative thinking. This is a, um, this is the only game that we've covered where I've played it post having the episode finished because I wanted to go in and uh, play, play a Sypha and get her gameplay and stuff and see what do you think of Sypha? I like it. I like that she basically feels like her own, like, game, you know. Get... Yeah, and she can be broken, too. I mean, she's she's very limiting in mobility, but, like, she can do damage. Dog. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. It's just, it's great. I love it. I, I'll, we'll be saying that for, for probably a few of these coming up. But um, yeah. I think just, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why... Uh, the original Castlevanias, it sparks so much, so much sadness when you realize it's owned by K- Konami, and then you see that they're just basically handing the license off to whomever for for Dead Souls Castlevania or what have you. Blah. 
Okay. You don't feel good about that? No, I don't. <laughs> I'll still play it, but I don't feel good about it. I don't like Dead Cells. Oh, okay. Fair <laughs> enough. I haven't played it, so I can't. I saw people that were happy about it, but I think they were happy because it's original Castlevania. No comments anymore. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Star Wars Masters of Terrace Cassie. Again, thank you, Jack Davenport, for enduring <laughs> this monstrosity. Did, did we not already talk about it at the start? <laughs> we I... did, but... We're saying All right. And I also want to, I just want to thank Jack also for the theme. Yes. Thank you for, thank the, you for the theme music, uh, Uncle Jack. Um, you know, what we realized post the episode was so funny to me, which is, why isn't Lando in the game? I was shocked when I thought about it. I was like, wait. <laughs> they put in, the they put in Thok and horror, but they didn't put in Lando. Is it just because that would have tipped the balance too many good guys and they couldn't think of another evil guy to put in? Legit, if you ask me, they didn't want to pay for Billy D. Williams' likeness. You think that's how it works? I, I don't know how it works. I have no idea. All I know is, is they totally could have put in another Han Solo clone. They put in a Stormtrooper dog. Yeah. <laughs> and they put in, like, another Boba Fett. So they could have put in... They could have put in Lando. Yeah. Whatever. No comments. We're, we're done here. <laughs> uh, and then the last episode we did, uh, Jack and Daxter won. What'd you put I have this, my number two. Behind That's Mist, crazy. above Bioshock 2. I put it in my number five. So, for context, my top ten, I'm just going to say my top ten, and you can say yours sure. as well, and then we'll talk about Jack. Pokemon Mystery Dungeons 10, Blood Omen 9, Bioshock 2 8, A Link to the Past 7, Mega Man Legends 6, Jack and Dexter 1's 5, Castlevania 3 is 4, Half Life 2 is 3, uh, Eco is 2, and Mist is 1. All right, I have my uh, 10 to 1, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon, Doki Doki Literature Club, Blood Omen Legacy of Kane, Castlevania 3, Eco, World of Goo, Half-Life 2, Bioshock 2, Jack and Daxter, Mist. Those aren't bad lists. Nope. Um, what I like about Jack and Daxter, I mean, did this? let me ask you, did this game improve or lessen this time around for you? I think it just stayed basically where it is which is i'm always happy to be playing it like it's just like i said it's got this playground feel where you just kind of you know even if you're not solving objectives and things you just kind of want to run around and then spin jump and beat things like like when you punch a dude he's punched you know the sound design the little the sound of jack running on the beach the music it's just also it's also charming and really sucks you into that world. I agree. I agree. And it's special. Uh, I think the art design's really good in it. I think the game design is really good. My only complaint ever was that it takes too long to get even a little challenging. Mm -hmm. And it's not even very challenging. So I wish it was harder or something. But that being said, I think the game is quote unquote perfect the way it is. Yeah. And for a collectathon platformer, you don't get better. Probably. Probably not. I think this is my favorite collectathon outside of like, I don't know, Mario Odyssey, I guess Banjo Kazooie. I would say Banjo. I'd say Banjo One's the only thing that, that competes personally. I don't even think Mario Odyssey competes personally. Mm -hmm. It's my take. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then after that, 
that's it. That's it. Uh, we caught up. Yep. Um, technically speaking, we'll have a vagrant story episode out uh, after this. Um, you've played more than I have. I've played a little. You, bit. I won't spoil you, how much. You I've clocked played. in once we told you how sexy all the characters are. Yes. Once I found out people have their ass cheeks hanging out, I was like, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sold me. <laughs> Um, I like it. I like Vagrant Story, man. I think I think that w- my initial impression as of now is optimistically going to be in that top half. Mm-hmm. I think so. it, for me right now, I'll I'll save it for the app, but I it depends how it sticks that landing for me. That's it's fair. in a somewhat precarious position. Mm, oh, it's going to be interesting when we talk about it. Well, we'll have sure. a. How do you feel? Go ahead. We'll have uh, two other people to counterbalance our first, our first four-person episode, because we'll have both uh, yeah, Yep and Brendan on. It'll, it'll be a smash up for the ages. Um, how do you feel about the season, though? The season as a whole, you know, um, never, never really thought I'd be a podcaster, but uh, I've, I've loved every episode we've done. I, I go back and uh, listen to them a lot. Uh, I'm not a person who's afraid of my own voice or opinions. Be proud. <laughs> no, I, there are some episodes that I go like legitimately proud of. Yeah. I think the missed episode is an ultimate standout. Um, I think the eco episode is a, a, a good one. Like all of them, like all of them I'd go back and listen to even the Pavlos era ones depends on how good my mic quality is, <laughs> but I've just been, I've been proud of this. This is good shit. And you do a really good job too. Um, I'm excited for the next season. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try and ramp it up. We're gonna have. Uh, I think the games are gonna be better too. I think we can get De Niro. <laughs> I my goal is Al Pacino. Oh okay. Oh damn it! Think, it was Al Pacino. I think after the Game Awards. <laughs> yeah. Damn it! I got I, want, I, I mixed up De Niro and Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Burke! I thought you had a film degree. I yeah. <laughs> Look, just because I have a degree in film doesn't mean I know who actors are. <laughs> yeah, who would know who Al Pacino is? Oh my god. Yeah, the Dunkachino guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh are we done? I mean we can be. Do we have do we have like any what what the next season is season four? We're looking yes, at we're yep. looking at some some a bit a bit broader of genre net i think than we have done we're looking at a lot more like uh adventure games just looking at the short list yes i i think i think i wanted more adventure games i want more rpgs there's certain like this one definitely has like a vibe to it and i think i would want each season to have its own vibe does that make sense yeah i can i can see that that's gonna be our our our, our computer era <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Not not bad. Yeah, we'll get get ready for for point and click girl summer. Hey man, <laughs> it took you a me. moment to process that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we're are, are we fading out or should we? Play? I yeah uh, you know no this is a special we don't plug on specials. <laughs> well then we're fading now, buddy. Thank you, thank you everyone for uh, sticking around with. Thank us. you for tuning in. Continue to tune in. Like, comment, subscribe. At me on Twitter. At Brogan on Twitter. Yep, yep, yep. That's thumbs up. Good shit. 